Our good friends at Johnny O welcome you to this episode. And if you've listened to Rich Take on Sports, then you know two things are important. Sharing the impact of sports in people's lives and the Johnny O clothing brand, blending those East Coast classic styles with a SoCal vibe. I've been wearing Johnny O for several years, and now you can as well with 20% off your first order by using the promo code ARICHTAKE at johnny-o.com. Live your best life with the Johnny O style and use promo code ARICHTAKE at johnny-o.com for 20% off your first order. Exploring the impact of sports. Welcome Welcome to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Having conversations and hearing personal stories from those who have been impacted, built, and inspired by the role of sports in their lives. Here's your host, Richmond Weaver. This is episode 147. Thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen. We all know that the speed of life can be so fast that we often don't take the time to invest in ourselves by continuously learning. And Alistia Moore knows that this type of investment can also be the catalyst to help lift up others. After graduating from the University of North Carolina with a degree in broadcast journalism, she would join ESPN as a production assistant and content associate and would continue on the production side as a production coordinator until 2018 when she moved into the role as a programming and acquisitions manager, helping plan and program college sporting events on both linear and digital ESPN platforms. She recently received her MBA from the Martin J. Whitman School of Management at Syracuse University, and you'll also find Alistia continuing to invest in others by serving on the advisory committee and as a program coordinator for the Winning Edge Leadership Academy, helping to foster professional mentoring relationships, enrichment scholarships, and networking opportunities for ethnic minorities and women who are seeking careers in the sports industry. Our conversation with Alistia Moore. Well, Alistia, thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast and want to do a little bit of walking down memory lane. Let's go back and I want to hear growing up how sports was intertwined into your life. So share with us just the beginning of your earliest memories. Yeah, my earliest memories of sports probably started with um, my parents, my my grandpa. My grandpa was um, a high school basketball coach. He played um, college basketball at Albany State University. My parents played basketball in high school. So sports were always in my life, but basketball in particular was was always number one in my life. And both of my parents were in the army. So whenever we traveled or wherever we, whenever we moved to a new place, um, one of the first things that we always did was, you know, figure out like what type of basketball team that I joined. Was it on post? Um, was it something in the local community? You know, we did other sports again. I did other sports as well, but basketball was always the number one. So that was, those are some of my earliest memories um, of sports in, in my life. And what gravitated you towards basketball? What was it about basketball that was it because your grandfather had played and that's what you had a connection with your grandfather from that aspect? Yeah, I mean, just, you know, the fact that, you know, my, my grandpa played, my, my parents played, like 
just the fact that basketball was so ingrained into our day-to-day lives, whether it was playing it, watching it. Um, I think that's what kind of drew me to it. And then on top of that, after I actually started playing and you know, it, was, it was okay, halfway decent. Um, it was, you know, great to, just to have that team aspect, that team camaraderie, um, you know, just going out there and playing for your friends who oftentimes turned into, you know, something like sisters and, you know, just, just having that team aspect, that was something that was really important to me. And it was just something that I truly enjoyed and, you know, played throughout my childhood. Speaking of sisters, did you have sisters growing up or siblings? No, I so I have an older brother, but I didn't have any any sisters or anything like that. So, How much older um, is he than you? He's he's like he's like two years older than me. So now, were you guys competitive with each other? We were competitive, but not necessarily in the in the sports aspect because he was really he leaned more towards like football and stuff like that. But I do remember, and actually, I just, I just thought about this the other day. We were competitive in weird things like. Like the cereal, you know, you have the nutrition labels on your cereal. So we would play this game when we were kids where we would grab um, the cereal boxes and we would look and say, I have four grams of protein. What do you have? <laughs> I have big. I won. <laughs> like, and I don't, and at the time, I know we had no idea what any of this meant, like the Bible flab and like whatever, all the, the little things, all the little nutrition information that I still, some of which I don't know at, you know, at my <laughs> now, but um, back then, like those are the weird things that we would be competitive about. Yeah, but that's what brothers and sisters do and siblings do. I mean, it's, it's amazing because I can remember who can run down the hall the fastest or get to the bedroom or the bathroom the fastest. I mean, just the little things. And it's just interesting how there's this competitive spirit in all of us. It's all relative. I mean, some people are obviously much more competitive. I mean, when you watch The Last Dance with Michael Jordan, you can see that that's ultra competitive. I I don't think I've ever been that way. But were you a competitive person then? And even now, are you a competitive person? Yeah, I'd like to think that... um... I'm definitely competitive, but to a point, I'm definitely not on the Michael Jordan level of competitive. I don't know that many people are, which is probably why he's, you know, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, depending on who you ask, of all time. But I, I definitely consider myself a competitor and, you know, even for me, it's not just like a competition amongst other people. It's me competing to be my my best self and, you know, doing the best that I possibly can, because I know that, you know, whatever it is, whether it's sports, whether it's, you know, career, whether it's, you know, friendships, if I'm doing the best that I can and being the best that I can be, then, you know, that's, that's what I'm striving for. You know, if I beat some other people along the way, great. Right. <laughs> That's ideal. But, you know, oftentimes like my, my bar for myself is, is so high that, um, that, that, that works for me. Okay. So you, you've got a lot of motivation just on the expectations that you're setting for yourself. Has that crossed to a point where it can be a detriment at times? Because sometimes people hold themselves to such high expectations. They never allow themselves really the opportunity to celebrate some of their wins. How has that been with you throughout your life? Um, I can see that definitely to to a certain extent. I mean, it, it's definitely one of those things that as you get older and as you um, continue to grow and progress throughout your life, again, you set these standards, you set these goals for yourself, but at some point you get to a point where you realize that life is life. You know, take what's happening right now, COVID-19, you know, you can set all the goals in the world, but if you know, there are things that are beyond your control. So it's about, you know, looking back and figuring out, okay, what can I control? 
and controlling that and moving forward in that. So that's definitely something that I had to grow and learn because initially, you know, you think, okay, well, I didn't get, you know, whatever it was, whether it's the job, whether it's the an internship, whether it's, you know, some, some sort of accolade, I didn't get that. Oh man, you know, it, it's so awful, but you know, sometimes you have to stop back and think, okay, well, what, what did I get? What can I be grateful for and being grateful for the moment? Because a lot of moments, that you have other people maybe striving for as well. And you also have to remember that at one point you were striving to get to that moment or striving to get to that, to that level, whatever that may be. So, you know, being thankful and being appreciative and, you know, again, just controlling what you can control. That's right. Control the input. I mean, it's obviously, as you mentioned right now is a perfect example of almost life teaching you or reminding you, Hey, you know, you think you're in control, but you're not, or, or God's telling us, hey, this is not something that you have ultimate control in. As much as a lot of times we think we do, there's a lot of things that are not in our control. And I also think there's this aspect of you have to allow yourself to enjoy the journey. And I know it's very cliche, you know, to, to say those type of things, but you really do. And, and hopefully, you know, even during these type of times, too, is that we can have the opportunity to take a moment and reflect back in terms of the journey from that perspective. And I know, again, it's very cliche, the things that I'm saying, but <laughs> there's truth to it. Well, my grandma the other day, we were having a conversation and um, she always says, um, Lord willing, we'll do this. Lord willing, I'll see you next week. Lord willing, you know, all of that. And I said, these times are the definition of Lord willing. Yeah, <laughs> of course, you grow up, you hear that stuff and you say, okay, yeah, Lord willing. I'll see you next week. But now it's literally, now it's, you know, it's really, you know, literally realizing like, no, really, Lord willing, because who knows what can happen next week. And, you know, you always knew that in the back of your mind, like you said, it's a cliche, but you just never know. And, you know, just take advantage of it now. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Now, has, has faith been a big part of your life? Absolutely. Um, My, my family is, you know, deeply, it, I kind of hesitate to say deeply religious because when people say deeply religious, sometimes it goes to like those really far extremist people and we're not that. But I do remember things like, you know, growing up in the church, um, my grandparents had, you know, Bible study at their home. Um, Whenever I would go visit there every summer, um, they had, well, they had it throughout the year, but, you know, I remember going when I went to visit them um, throughout the summer. Um, Like I said, grew up in the church. So that's definitely Faith is something that definitely has been a part of my life and continues to be a part of my life. Yeah, and I think there's an aspect of people can get confused with religion and your faith. And I'm a firm believer that there is a difference because I I didn't come into my faith until I was about 37, 38 years old. I'm 49 now, but it's my connection with Christ. And that's my faith, not so much the religion aspect, but it's, it's the connection for me with Christ that that's my foundation, so to speak. No, absolutely. I mean, even with um, my church, the church that I go to now, um, you know, we have Zoom calls and, you know, our, our congregation is, is a lot older. And so it's very important for us to make sure that, you know, in these times, you know, we're trying to you know, be as separate as possible and just, you know, make sure that everyone stays as healthy as possible. And, you know, you have a lot of conversations about, OK, well, should people be in the church? Should they not? And, you know, everybody has, you know, that own their, their own decision to make. But it's also really important to remember that it's about the, the connection that you have with God and you can have that 
anywhere. It does not need to be in a building. If if it makes you feel better to be in a building, great. Not disparaging anybody for that, but you know, just remembering that it's all about you know where it's all about you know your connection to Christ, and you can do that anywhere. Yes, ag- agreed, one hundred percent. So now, from the perspective of growing up, and what were some of your goals, dreams? I mean, was ESPN working there? Was that like an ultimate dream for you, or just what were you wanting to accomplish outside of just the sports world? Yeah, I mean, I think I think I remember like my earliest memories of what I wanted to do and what I wanted to be was actually a teacher. Um, both of my I keep going back to my grandparents, but both my grandparents um, were teachers. Um, a lot of my family teachers, you know, both of my parents were were in the were in the army, but there's still that leadership aspect and that teaching aspect that's there as well. So I knew, I always knew that I wanted to, to, to teach people, to lead people. Um, as I got older, I started realizing that patience isn't something that I possess and to, <laughs> <laughs> and to be a truly effective teacher within a school system. You need patience. You better have a lot of patience. Um, so that's, that's one of the, the things that kind of, you know, veered me off of, okay, that's perhaps not, not, you know, my, my blessing, my calling. Um, but I do remember, you know, getting into, I want to say probably about high school and realizing that I wanted to, you know, go into, you know, some sort of journalism background, communications background. Um, and then ultimately started looking at, when I started looking at colleges, looking at, okay, what kind of schools have, you know, good background in, um, in communications and journalism and stuff like that, stumbled upon, University of North Carolina, and I say stumbled upon because obviously I knew about it, but I lived <laughs> in Colorado. Like that's where I graduated high school, so it wasn't as if you know it was right in my backyard. I just you know really started having to to look around and figure out you know where I wanted to go to school because I didn't have that. Okay, I know that when I graduate, I want to go to this school. I I had to start looking stuff up, and you know in my criteria it was you know journalism and things like that, and um and so you know North Carolina ended up going there. And I knew that throughout the course of my studies that I wanted to stick with sports. Like sports had been a huge part of my life, um, like I said, growing up. And I wanted to stay within that realm while heading in towards journalism. And it just started to snowball from, okay, well, I really like production. I really like, you know, you know, being on camera, but I also like being behind the scenes, storytelling, all that kind of stuff. And ESPN, you know, is, you know, as, as huge as we are with sports, we're also great with storytelling. So ESPN was was definitely, you know, always the goal and something that I wanted to attain. I didn't think that I would get there right after college, but <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was great. And and honestly, the, the journey and um, the, abil- the ability to work for such a great company has been um, truly a blessing. When was it that you realized that patience might not be one of your best skill sets. You you mentioned that, but was was there a moment or is it just built over time that you started realizing that? Yes, it was definitely built over time. I can't really think of a specific moment where I said, I have no patience. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, that happens every day almost, right? I know it does for me. <laughs> I, can't, I can't think back too far to remember exactly what it was that made me go, I don't, I don't have the patience. I don't know if it was, you know, sitting in, you know, high school classes and going, I, 
I, you know, I definitely um, respect all of these teachers who haven't, you know, slapped a, a child or whatever and because they're so angry. You know, the, the fact that so many people are so, um, so many people who are teachers are able to, you know, center themselves, calm themselves, understand that children are going through, you know, various stages of life, various stages or various things in their lives. And, you know, and, and realizing that that anger that maybe they're lashing out and, you know, that that's not necessarily something that's indicative of their personality, but it's just, you know, maybe the current struggles that they're going through, you know, teachers being able to to take on a lot is something that I just kind of realized early on, but I don't know that I have the possession. I don't possess that quality, but I don't know that there was a specific. Yeah. Not one thing. No. What was it like though, from a perspective of growing up with parents in the military, were you guys mm-hmm. moving quite a bit? Yeah, we, we moved pretty often. I mean, I, it was probably about every three to four years. So it wasn't too bad, relatively speaking, because I know people who, you know, moved like every year. So to me, every three to four years was, you know, was was normal. <laughs> yeah, but that's a lot. I mean, for me, I, I didn't move my entire, I guess one time my entire childhood when I was like six, it moved and then from six until I was 18 and off to college. That's the only time I'd ever moved. So when you say every three to four years, that's a lot. How how challenging was that for you? Having to make new friends and be connected back into a new community. How challenging was that? I mean, because I was a child, I think that that's what was so beneficial. Like me thinking about it now as an adult, it just sounds, you know, absolutely wild. But when you're a child that that that's all you know, especially, you know, since it, it started when, when I was a, a baby and, you know, going throughout my entire childhood. So it wasn't something that felt weird to me. It was something that I just knew, you know, early on, like, okay, I'm going to this new school. I need to find, you know, my friend group. I need to find the people who I'm going to be able to, to really connect with. And then when it's time to go, it's going to be really, really sad. And, you know, I'm going to cry. I, I absolutely cried after, <laughs> after every move in some way, shape, or form. But, you know, just knowing that, okay, you know, this is the next journey. This is the next adventure. There's going to be other people. And the really nice thing uh, I think about now is the fact that there's social media and that um, you're able to still connect with people if you want to. Um, but I, 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 it really warms my heart when I get, you know, friend requests or when I see people I haven't seen since, you know, since we were children and I had no idea where they were in life, what's going on and, you know, being able to connect with them in social media. Because I remember early on, um, I want to say I was in maybe like third grade or something, third or fourth grade, I had just moved. And one of my friends sent me a letter. I mean, who who gets letters anymore? <laughs> but you know, that's dedication to like it is. I love that <laughs> though. There's something special about a letter. It's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it was definitely a, a unique experience and something that I didn't really. I mean, I knew it was it, it was somewhat unique, but it was something that I didn't really realize how unique until you know as I got older and, and as an adult. How do you think that shaped you later in life from a perspective of? were you able to deal with change a little bit better? I think, I think that that was key for me, just being able to, to deal with change and to, to learn how to roll the punches. And again, controlling what you can control. I cannot control that we are moving. We are going to move, <laughs> Alistia, I think you like it or not. <laughs> so you can either cry for you know, the next three years or you can cry, get it out your system. You're a human. You have emotions. It's okay. And then, you know, move forward. What can you do to, you know, stay connected with 
with your old friends? And then what can you do to make the best out of this current situation? I don't know that I necessarily articulated that in that way when I was a child or when I was a teenager and things like that. But it was something that I just ultimately knew in the back of my mind that I can either be mad or sad about it, or I can continue to move forward. And that's just, you know, that was just part of of my life. What was your favorite place to live? (sighs) So, uh, I definitely enjoyed the, the the place that I so I lived in Hawaii. Oh, Hawaii well, hello, yes. <laughs> Hawaii was awesome. And I definitely think about the different experiences that I had as a child. Again, you're kind of a brat, <laughs> or at least maybe maybe it's just me. <laughs> yes, I know what you're saying. You don't appreciate things. Yeah, you don't necessarily appreciate like what it was like to be able to live in a place like Hawaii. Um, I think that I was old. So th- I lived there from fourth grade to seventh grade. So I was old enough to obviously still remember all, have all the memories and things like that, but also, you know, realize the, the good and the bad of it. So the good is, you know, you can play outside all year, every year. It's warm. It's great. Uh, but also, you know, realizing some of the economic inequalities and seeing like how how expensive it was for people to live and, and really sustain sustain themselves and things like that. So I and then also just you know how far we were from the rest of our family. Um because both my family or my family's from the South. My my mom's from from Georgia and my dad's from Mississippi. So being able to get back to anybody, I mean it it took forever. So um you know just being able to see both the good and the bad of it. But, but I, I definitely enjoyed it, and my memories of it are, are definitely fond. Now, did you ever learn how to surf? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> if I were to do it now, I would definitely you know, try to, I don't know about surfing, but I would probably do a little things that were a little bit more adventurous. Um, but I, it's going to be sad to say, but I can probably count the amount of times that we really went to the beach like that, which I know sounds, sounds insane, but we we didn't like live on the beach in, or anything. And and that's then, a big difference. Like, we just didn't really go that often. Yeah. Well, it's, it's just not always convenient. And my wife and I, when we first got married, we moved out to San Diego. And now reflecting back, we didn't take advantage of San Diego at all. I mean, we, we kind of moved inland and didn't go to the beach that much. And so it just happens. Life again, just it goes by so fast and you've got to take advantage of certain things. But also I realized I'm really not a beach person. I'm more of a mountain and a lake person. Hey, there, there's some things in that ocean I just don't know about. <laughs> exactly. Um, and actually, I, I do remember, so my mom actually got stationed back out there again around when I was, I think it was in college uh, or just getting out of college when she was stationed out there again. And it was at that point, again, I'm older now. So I'm like, mom, I should really go to Pearl Harbor. (laughs) And so, you know, things like that, we we just kind of realized, okay, there were a lot of things that we didn't really take advantage of. And so we went and did a lot of those things um, the second time around, which is really nice. (laughs) How did it come about, though, ESPN, getting the job right out of school? Because, again, that I don't hear too many people that that happens like that. So how did that happen? I honestly, I mean, I honestly don't know for certain. I do remember, so I remember the summer before my senior year, I didn't have an internship. And I realized I I didn't have an internship because I waited too late to start the process. I didn't really know when you were supposed to start applying. And by the time I started applying, like things were gone, they were closed, they they didn't have internships and things like that. And I just remember that, that sinking feeling of, of like feeling like, oh my goodness, my life is over, which 
so dramatic. Exactly. (laughs) But at the time, I thought it was just the worst thing ever. Of course, yes. And I remember um, actually getting a a job slash internship that I had for my senior year that was in our new media department and working with them for the year. And that's really where I was able to kind of get my feet wet and learn a lot about, learn a lot about production and sports production and things like that. Um, so I, I remember, I think I started applying for jobs in December and <laughs> that's really weird because with ESPN and most, you know, media, co- media companies, it's not like, you know, a lot of, you know, your business grads who, you know, f- figure out the, the jobs that they want, you know, the summer before, and then they hold that job for you the next year. It's not like that. Like when in the media, if you're, if they have a job opening, they want it filled immediately. But I didn't care. I was like, I'm not going to be late at all. So I'm starting now. So I started applying in December. And I just remember talking to the recruiter a lot. And she, and I think at one point I was close to getting a job. And they asked, like, can I start in February? I said, well, I don't graduate till May. So. <laughs> yeah, we got one little slight problem. <laughs> little problem here. And she said, you know what, it's fine. It's fine. And so we just, we just really kept in touch. And um, throughout that process, I actually interviewed quite a bit and I had never really been in a a ton of interviews. So it was really great for me to figure out, you know, what what are they looking for? What types of questions do they ask? And then by the time I got the job that I ultimately got after um, after college, um, I I felt really comfortable with the whole interview process. and, And and I just ended up getting it yes uh, well obviously you impressed you at least impressed one person the right person that was hiring right but uh, i would suspect that that probably helped you just going through the uh, what you talked about the di- different interviews because there's somewhat of an art and a skill to being able to interview absolutely i mean and the and i had internships before so it was so that's why it was really melodramatic when i said like i didn't have one before um, before my senior year, I had internships before, but you, and so you, you have a little bit of an interview process, but, you know, just being able to see exactly what ESPN specifically, you know, my, you know, dream company, what they were going to ask and what they wanted, that was really key, especially as someone who doesn't really like to talk about herself that much. Um, it was just really, (laughs) it was something that really made it, um, a lot easier for me to, to be able to do well. And, you know, there was, it ended up being six of us that were hired and we started down in the Charlotte office it was great. Why do you have trouble talking about yourself or bragging about yourself? <laughs> um, I don't perfectly honest. I'm I'm not sure. Um, but it's just something that hasn't really that has never been something that's super comfortable to me, but it's also something that I know you have to be able to do to continue to progress and and do well in any in, in, in any industry, um, because you have to continue to sell yourself. You have to continue to tell people why you're great and not in a a cocky or in a way that you're bragging or anything like that, but just being able to articulate, okay, this is what I can bring to the table. This is what I can bring to the company, the team. Um, This is what I'm doing. So it's something that I definitely had to grow into, but it it was not something that was easy or or, or comfortable for me. Yeah. Well, there is obviously a fine line, a a balance because I mean, I know you've probably come across people that have crossed that line (laughs) and the cockiness comes out and uh, almost to a detriment. Do you think the growing up in a military family had an effect on that in terms of 
not overly braggadocious, just because in the military, that's not the style. It, it is, you know, chain of command and you respect, you know, the chain of command and your superiors and you have your certain orders to follow through. Um, I think to a certain extent, I mean, both of my parents, not, neither of my parents ever really brought the army home in a sense, but, but they kind of in a, in a sense did. Like there was a lot of structure, um, but not in, in, a, in, a over, in, a, in an overkill way. Um, but I do think that, you know, the, the principles of leading by example of, you know, if you say you're going to do something, do it. If you're, um, you're going to talk the talk, walk the walk, that type of stuff. I think that was something that, that was definitely instilled in me early on from, from both of my parents. But um, uh, I think also both of my parents are, even though they, they, you know, ended up being leaders in, in different re- regards, they also don't necessarily like to talk about themselves that much. <laughs> so I think it might just be a family thing. But again, they had to figure out how to deal with it in this, you know, career path that they chose. And if they wanted to continue to advance, they had to, um, you know, continue to to be able to, to lead and not necessarily even just talk about themselves, be able to uplift other people. Yeah, of course. Well, I mean, there's an aspect of, there's DNA involved, genetics. And so what is with your current role? Can you explain, and I know it's hard to explain, like day to day, I do this. I mean, it's... It, yeah. So in, you're in programming, but what does that mean for the people that don't really understand behind the scenes type of jobs like this? Yeah. So I started off in production and that's what I did in the in the Charlotte office. But uh, when I moved up to, to Connecticut, it was you know to pr- pursue a, a career path with programming and acquisition. So that's what I currently work in, um, specifically college sports and even more specifically men's and women's college basketball. Um, so our team is responsible for scheduling and you know acqu- acquiring the rights to men's and women's college basketball events and, and, and games and things like that. Um, we work to acquire the rights to different, you know, conferences and, and you know, our, we have a relationship, obviously, with NCAA and other different, you know, organizers and things like that. But my main specific role is, is to um, schedule our games on linear and digital platforms. Um, so that's, that's, I think, in a nutshell, the best way to, to kind of discuss it. Well, and how great is that? Do you get to marry your job with something you already love? And that's basketball. That's a perfect combination. I've always tried to tell my kids, follow your passions and your dreams. And if you can find somebody that is willing to pay you for it, (laughs) then that's the ultimate job. So it sounds like you might be close to within that job. Absolutely. It's, It's a great opportunity. I mean, and just being able to, you know, kind of like pick what games go where and uh, on which networks and at what times and, you know, the, also the partnership management of it, working with, you know, the conferences and leagues and figuring out what's best for them and, you know, coming to, you know, a mutually beneficial point in the schedule. Um, it's, it's like one big puzzle and being able to put it together and manage those relationships is something that um, I really enjoy. And I guess one of the things you also mentioned that ESPN does really well, and I wholeheartedly agree, and that's storytelling. And I think that sports has this ability to capture so many people in different ways. But one of the ways is when we can relive moments through storytelling. Why do you think people just gravitate towards the storytelling aspect of sports? I think it's because the storytelling really humanizes the athletes. It's one thing to just be able to say, oh, look at this person run, you know, catch, jump, shoot, whatever it may be. But when you 
really get to learn what makes them tick, what makes them who they are, um, how did they get to this point. I think it's something that resonates with anyone, whether or not they're a sports fan or not. And, you know, lo and behold, if someone, you know, who maybe isn't a sports fan or isn't a fan of this particular sport, maybe they hear this story and they go, wow, I want to continue to track this person and in their you know, career pursuits and stuff like that. So I think that um, storytelling can just resonate with anyone, whereas stats, I mean, maybe, um, you know, actually watching the games, eh, maybe, but Everyone loves a good story. Yeah, definitely. And and again, to your point, I mean, ESPN has hit a home run with so many different aspects of the productions that they have been able to put out there, all of the content. Obviously, I'm a huge Michael Jordan fan, so The Last Dance was at a level I'd never even experienced you know, from that standpoint. So now, basketball-wise then, I'm a Michael Jordan fan. Where do you fall on who are some of the people that you love the most? And who's the GOAT? Michael Jordan or is it LeBron? Are we going to have a debate here? (laughs) I know. So it's funny because so I started off being a Michael Jordan fan. My dad was a huge Michael Jordan fan. So him being a Jordan fan um, was something that kind of made me want want to be a Jordan fan early on. But as as I got older, I can tell you I loved Allen Iverson. Like Allen Iverson was one of my favorite players um, of of all time. And, um, you know, again, continuing getting older, um, Dwayne Wade, and I hate to say it, LeBron James. it's okay. It's okay. Hey, he's a Swiss army knife. He's amazing. He's amazing. And I, I hate the GOAT debate. Like I understand why people have it and why people get so passionate about it, but it's just, it's, it's impossible to compare two people who did not play at the same time. It's it's, it's really not fair. And you you can say, Oh, well, you know, the the league was softer then, or the athletes are better now or whatever you want to say, but at the end of the day, we don't know. And so because we don't know, let's just say they're both great. Agreed. I, I, yes, I I can debate and say that Michael Jordan is just, I just think he's the most transcendent athlete we've ever seen. And that's what carries me to crown him the goat, so to speak, but in all reality, you, you can't compare. And I just love seeing greatness. So that's why I love watching LeBron James right now because he is great. And I, you know, I love watching Tiger Woods. I, I want to see greatness. I want to see history like that to be able to talk about it. And I think that's one of the things that that people are missing sometimes in the in the goat debates. Like instead of just enjoying yes. what's happening, what you're seeing, and and you know even enjoying like reflecting on what happened. Like you know again, everyone loved the last dance because you know you really were able to reflect on wow that was truly great. That run, those runs were truly amazing. You know just enjoy it and. Again, the playful, you know, this is the go, this is the go. I mean, it, it's fine. But sometimes people take it to a level that is like, okay, come on. First of all, we are still just talking about sports. Exactly. Oh. That's right. And, and okay. nothing is that definitive. There, it's just not, you know, because there's no way to, uh, to prove one way or the other. But I, I was also an Allen Iverson fan because I coached college basketball when I graduated Clemson in the early 90s. And so I was at the University of Maryland Eastern Shore as an assistant coach. And so we played Georgetown. And just this guy's freshman year by the name of Allen Iverson. Now, and obviously I'd heard and had seen him in high school just through the recruiting trails. But seeing him like that, I mean, he was at 
a different level, just even as a freshman at Georgetown. I mean, it was just amazing to see the type of talent that he possessed at the guard position. And he was just much more than just a guard. Absolutely. I mean, it was just, it was, it was obviously his skill on the floor and just his ability, you know, to handle the ball, to shoot, to just like make plays. It was, it was flashy. And especially at, you know, as a child, I'm like, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> this is great to watch. Um, but then also just his personality is aura. And of course it, it rubs people the wrong way, you know, or it could rub people the wrong way. But again, as someone who was a, a little bit shyer, a little bit more, um, <laughs> you know, reserved, I was like, wow, this is amazing. This isn't me. This is amazing. <laughs> Even from the standpoint of like, I was not a guard. I, I could not handle the ball at all, but I loved watching Alan Iverson handle the ball. <laughs> so it was just, it was, re- it was really amazing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he's definitely one of my all time favorites. Well, he's definitely up there. That, that's for sure. And again, I, it was great seeing him at an early age and then being able to follow his career from that standpoint. So another thing that I think is interesting that you're doing is looking at opportunities to be involved in helping others with opportunities and minorities with opportunities and women with opportunities in sports and entertainment industry. And that's with the Winning Edge Leadership Academy. So how did you become involved with that? And why has that become something that you've been wanting to invest your time into? Because you've been doing it for a number of years now. Yeah. So, I mean, all of us, so I say all of us, I mean, um, Kareen, Maria, um, you know, they worked in the Charlotte office as well. And so we all became friends. And, um, and so just through that friendship, you know, learning about this, you know, organization that they wanted to build, I just, you know, raised my hand and asked, like, how can I help? How can I be a part of this? And, you know, it was just really important to me because, you know, you look around the different, like the, the media landscape in general, and you see the lack of diversity and you see how things can be better. And so what was really important with the winning edge was making sure that, okay, number one, we're helping students and student athletes find, make sure, make sure that they're ready for the opportunity, whatever the opportunity presents itself, making sure that they're ready, making sure that they have the skills, make sure they have the resources, um, the knowledge to really enter into these positions and be successful, but then also knocking on those doors with companies and saying, hey, we have this candidate, we have this, you know, former student athlete, we have this person who's, who would be tremendous for your organization. They're ready. They can take on this task, whatever task it is that that's at hand. And, you know, being able to to help people get to that point so that we can see real and true change within the sports and and entertainment industry, I think is really huge and something that I'm passionate about. Yeah. And what are some of the challenges still ongoing right now that you foresee with having these opportunities for these student athletes and especially minorities? Uh, I think part of it is, is just being able to for people to to follow through. Um, and some, some organizations have been great about it. Others, you know, probably not as much. And I know that, you know, Karina and Marie can probably talk to it a little bit more, but just, I think the, the, 
one of the the biggest things is just being able to to follow through. And if you say you're going to be able to help with this, you know, actually being able to to help and follow through with it. Um, but then also once you get to these organizations, once these student athletes, whoever they may be, once they get into these organizations and into these positions, what are some of the ways to continue to to nurture them and make sure that they feel like they're that they belong, that they um, can advance and that they can continue to grow in their career, whether it's at that organization or, or elsewhere. And did you have mentors that have helped you through your career and even maybe today? Yeah, I mean, I have uh, a, a ton of mentors uh, across, I mean, most of them within within ESPN, but um, I've been blessed really to have a, a number of managers and a number of mentors um, that have really been key in, you know, being able to be a sounding board and um, helping me understand, okay, what, what are some of the next steps that you need to take? What are the next steps that you want to take? And most importantly, what do you want? Um, and then, you know, and then after that, being an advocate for me and whatever it is that I want, you know, I've made a couple of, you know, a couple of um, transitions within ESPN, but none of that would have been possible without, you know, having mentors to help me understand what that next step looks like and being able to advocate for me in those next steps. What continues to motivate you today? Um, I think just wanting to, like I said, be the best version of myself possible, um, continuing to learn, to grow, whether it's, you know, going back to school, whether it's, you know, shadowing people and learning about, you know, other opportunities within the company um, or talking to people um, and figuring out what exactly they do. Um, I just continue. I just really love to learn. And I think being able to learn and being in a position where I'm continuing, continuously learning and continuously, you know, gaining new knowledge. And, and I think that's one of the things that really drives me. And one of those things that I firmly believe in terms of that continuing to learn, because leaders always continue to learn. And that's why I think people will follow leaders that showcase that. Uh, and as you somewhat mentioned, lead by example, and you see them continuing to learn and I think there's an aspect of um, a big believer in words of wisdom. Uh, and it might just be a simple phrase, motto, or a quote, or just life advice that can have an impact. Do you have any type of words of wisdom that has meant a lot to you or just even life advice as well that you'd like to share? I think one, uh, I think two things. One of the things that I just kind of make sure that I... I really live by is just making sure that I'm continuing continuously being someone who's helpful, someone who not only uplifts uplifts myself but uplifts others um, along the along the way. Um, I think that's really important to me. And then also just one of the the key quotes that I kind of live live by, Maya Angelou: um, "Do the very best you can until you know better, but once you know better, do better." And that's one of the things that continues to drive me. That's powerful. I'm not going to always know everything. <laughs> that's right. Again, yes, you're not going to know everything and you better be prepared for change, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Listy, I can't thank you enough for spending some time. I greatly appreciate it. Oh, no problem. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Being the best version of yourself is more than just a saying, as it truly requires action. And Alistia knows that for her, it's about investing that time to continue to learn in all aspects of her life. And how gaining knowledge will not only allow you to grow and do better, but it also allows you to be that support that can ultimately help others be the best version of themselves. 
Now that finishes episode 147, and you can also watch some of our episodes by visiting our Rich Take on Sports YouTube channel. And remember, focus forward so we don't live in the past. All the best, everyone. You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Visit richtakeonsports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rich Take Sports. Thanks for listening. 